You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. podcast your source for everything about fingerprints while you're working on your comparisons we'll talk about comparisons i'm eric ray and i'm glenn langenberg hey glenn uh, why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom i know this one i actually use it in my magic show for kids so yeah. I, won't, I won't step on it for you oh it's because the p is silent yeah hey. so we we've been through alliteration we've been through puns we've been through just welcoming whoever's been listening the most recently and uh, I think in our fourth year of the Double Loop Podcast, we're going to move on to dad jokes. Hey! Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, I've got a nice. Uh, I can contribute on this one. I well, we both qualify, you know, as 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 dads. Very so. much so. And uh, uh, <laughs> yep, I have to get a nice repertoire so I can use them <laughs> at magic shows for kids. So um, I will teach you a few, and you teach me a few new ones. Sounds great. Great. All right. Well, uh, Glenn, uh, the the 2016 IAI conference is over. Um, yeah, you guys held it without me. I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure they'd go, <laughs> nah, well, Langenberg's not coming, so better cancel. I was, it was great. I, I learned about um, the Cincinnati Chili, Cincinnati-style Chili. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And what they call the Cincinnati Three-Way, which is a bed of spaghetti <laughs> covered with um, Cincinnati chili covered with and making the rest of the food just completely invisible because it is covered in in a gigantic layer of cheddar cheese. Um, that's yeah, that's what they told you at least <laughs> after they got a look at you. <laughs> um, so looking at the recipe because it, it is a different tasting thing, uh, but the the Cincinnati style chili has has um like allspice and cocoa powder and all sorts of like weird stuff that you wouldn't expect to be in chili and it doesn't look or taste like chili but it is its own kind of thing so um it's <laughs> it is its own kind of thing <laughs> so i'm 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 anxious to 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 mix up a batch and try it out on my family back here in uh, in Arizona but uh, oh, cool right now though Speaking of spaghetti, last Friday, uh, this is now Monday night, uh, Friday was Spaghetti and Meatballs night at, at the Ray uh, Casita, um, which means that tonight is using the leftover spaghetti sauce to make uh, deep dish Chicago style pizza. So if you mm. hear the, um, the oven timer go off here in a little bit, I, I will have to take a break uh, and, and go um, rescue the deliciousness from the oven. So, Perfect. Yes. Um, anyway, Glenn, uh, you, you like you said, you, you weren't be able to be you weren't able to go to the conference this year. Uh, what have you been up to instead? Oh well, uh, yeah, I ended up just having to work and take care of stuff around at home. But I've been I've been enjoying the summer, trying to get some golf in and doing some projects around the house. I had uh, my grandmother. Uh, before she died, gave me an old uh, antique desk that she had had, I don't know, since the 
20s or 30s maybe and uh, I had had it uh, for years back when I got out of college and carted this thing all over the country in every house I had moved <laughs> in and it was all dinged up and everything and I've been wanting to do something with it so uh, finally got the urge to uh, sand it all down and um, you know rework it and then put stain on it and varnish and gave it to my son he wanted a desk for his room and it was kind of a nice project for us to both work on and he was very helpful, very excited, and uh, he got to use a you know a, a power sander, and uh, he uh, he really he he enjoyed uh, enjoyed working <laughs> on it, and and he's very proud of the you know there's always that sense of accomplishment when well, yeah. you did it as opposed to you went and bought it. So uh, it's in his room now, and he really really likes it. He picked out the the color stain, which is like a dark walnut. Uh, he picked out a semi-gloss as opposed to glossy or satin finish, and you know he he got he got a say in it, and it, right. I, I'm very pre- pleased with the final product. It's one of those ah, 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 kind of <laughs> uh, '90s uh, home improvement, you know, uh, kind of moments. It sounds like. Yeah, and you know, just it made me feel good to be able to take this thing, you know, that has been in my family for a long time, and restore it to probably better than when my grandmother first inherited it right well my my oldest now has his uh, driver's permit and uh, we've had a few rounds about the uh, you know local parking lots and uh, a little bit of road time so watch out if you're in the (laughs) in the phoenix arizona metropolitan area um but uh, no, he's excited, and um, hopefully, in the next month or two, we'll we'll uh, we'll get the license, and uh, maybe maybe it's it's um, makes life easier on mom and dad when when uh, you know the oldest kid can now act as taxi driver for the other three. <laughs> Will he have a bitchin' Camaro? Well, uh, actually, uh, he he uh, he stands to inherit his great grandmother's. Uh, let's see, 95 Oldsmobile 88. Nice. So. <laughs> That's a boat. That's <laughs> awesome. Oh, this so, episode's all about Grandma Hammy nouns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much like myself, uh, you know, he's going to the same um, uh, high school that I went to. Uh, a very upper-class uh, uh, private school um, that he, like I, attended mainly on scholarship and not because <laughs> our families could afford it. So he'll he'll also get to experience that parking the giant old boat uh, next to all the other uh, classmates' brand new cars. And he's not swimming in that latent print money. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm keeping him humble. You know, keeping all that money to myself. I see. Anyway, all right. So hey, so I missed the all right. I missed the conference. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit? What did I miss? I heard there were some things going down, some decisions made at the business meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the big stuff? Yeah. So um, you know, definitely a really interesting um, lectures and workshops and panel discussions. Which you know, you've you've heard some of that uh, discussed on the past few episodes, uh, but. Um, Towards the at the end of the week, uh, the big the big thing that went down was resolution twenty sixteen dash four, which uh, during the Friday morning uh, IAI uh, membership uh, meeting was voted on whether to accept it, uh, which won by a slim six votes. 
uh, out of uh, 150 or so, 100, yeah, about 150 people total uh, in the room. And uh, this mainly addresses the resolution 2010-18 uh, from, obviously, from 2010. And uh, that addressed resolutions going even further back to 1979 and 1980. So um, let me just, you know, kind of update anyone who wasn't there. It is on the IEI website now in the members area, uh, if you're an IEI member. Um, but I'll read kind of the important bits out now. Uh, so there's there's quite a few whereases, you know, whereas this and that, and and, you know, that's all the kind of preamble kind of stuff. And uh, then into the meat of it, it says uh, Resolution 2010-18 is hereby rescinded, and Resolutions 1979-7 and 1980-5 remain rescinded. Uh, and be it further resolved that the IEI hereby recognizes the following. Friction-rich skin impressions can share limited characteristics, and any associations based on these criteria require ethically and professionally, that the examiner clearly state any limitations of their conclusions. And then two, the use of mathematically-based models to assess the associative value of the evidence may further support a scientific basis for the examiner's opinion. Mathematically-based models may not be used as the sole determinant when concluding that friction-rich impressions share a common source. The use of mathematically-based models does not relieve the examiner of responsibility for their expert opinion. Examiners utilizing mathematically-based models are expected to be trained to competency on those models and are expected to ensure that the models have been validated by the relevant scientific community. Okay. So, the the, the main thrust, if, if you are you have not been to a few II... Uh, conferences recently, is that the 2010 resolution more or less said very similar things uh, and was uh, quite a bit longer. Uh, but one of the problematic items in the 2010 resolution was saying that the IAI would have to validate any model that comes out before an examiner used it, right. or, or at least a member of the IAI used it. But the IEI wasn't really in a position to do any of this kind of validation. Uh, and, so for, and you personally spent years on committees coming to that <laughs> conclusion in a report. Right. So for a number of years now, I've either been on the committee or then now chairing the committee that was trying to kind of fix this 2010 problem of most of this is pretty good, but we do need to tweak this little bit uh, at the end. So last year it kind of came up. And um, part of the issue was, hey, we need to have something in place before we get rid of 2010-18. Uh, um, the committee that I was chairing, um, which also included uh, Ed German, Henry Swafford, Christoph Champeau, Heidi Eldridge, and Peter Kaminsky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we went through, we, we had out this this very comprehensive resolution or we also phrased it as a position statement we, we phrased it in multiple different ways depending on what the uh, the board of directors were interested in in moving forward with in the end they went back to a resolution format and then cut out about 90 percent of it to to just this um, and 
we managed to, to get back in there a couple things that we thought were important. Uh, first of all, that uh, examiners should be trained on how to use these models if they are going to use them, and that okay. the models be validated. And the the idea is that we were going to be very just very general. This is just generally what would be a good thing. And uh, in even the uh, the business meeting specified hey, the. We're going to help the board come out with a more detailed position statement that's going to support this resolution. There were a lot of questions, which is why the kind of the vote was so close as to, you know, what certain things mean. Um, but um, you know, in the end, uh, big thanks to to Ron Smith who who spoke up in favor of this. That uh, it went, you know, managed to get through because um, basically. We're really talking in very generalities here for the resolution. More of the specifics will come in the position statement from the uh, the board, hopefully at the mid-year meeting. And um, it does move us past the little problematic language from, from the 2010 resolution. So what, what, what were the misunderstandings then that essentially Ron were able, you know, able to help with i mean how did how did people have problems with this or did they simply not know what they were voting on i am you know i it only hearing about it from you guys I mean, it seems kind of clear to me so what was the issue well uh so in the first portion you know it says uh impressions can share limited characteristics and the associations based on these require the examiner clearly state any limitations of their conclusions the the idea here, and I think in all the kind of last minute wranglings on the board, what may have been lost in this, and, and admittedly it could have been phrased better, um, uh, you know, for for this resolution, is what we're talking about is what some agencies are already doing. If you're going to state that a latent could not be excluded or is um, inconclusive with similarities or you know, close but not an ID. Whatever you're going to, you know, along those lines. If you're going to say that, you need to clearly state in the report and in uh, your testimony the limitations of what you're saying. Um, and it seemed like some people thought this was just basically too general and as read could be read to to mean that you need to state any limitations of saying identification as a as a full-on id so that one i can kind of get but talk about herding cats <laughs> working things through the board and then through um you know approval to get on uh, published for then the rest of the uh membership to vote on is is one hell of a process uh, mm-hmm. So I think that was w- that was one part of it. Uh, the second part was on the you know it was all about mathematically based models. I I thought we were pretty clear. It said you know um, examiners are expected to be trained to competency on these models. So some of the questions that came up during the business meeting were, does that mean you have to have a statistics degree? I'm like, it says nothing about that. <laughs> It says train to competency on the model that you're using. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. it really clearly says that. But that's what kept coming up is is stuff like that. Well, what does train to competency mean? 
What does the relevant scientific community mean? And, um, you know, kind of went around trying to explain all that on, uh, but it, I think it really did come down to Ron Smith standing up and saying, Hey, I get it. I get the gist of it. I get that this is, you know, speaking in more generalities and that the board will come out with, uh, a more complete explanation of these points later on, um, to, to back up this resolution with more specifics. Okay. Interesting. It was a very interesting day. I can tell you that. Okay. Well, um, I guess that makes a little more sense because I, you know, it, it basically seemed like they were all rational moves. Take, take, take it out of the hands of the IEI, the responsibility of the IEI. It's okay to do this, but not quite yet. Still, so yeah. I mean, it seemed. Well, what's the issue? But. I mean, so when I heard about the vote being so close, I guess I was a little surprised. I, I think it's it, it comes down to, unfortunately, like so many things, to, you know, the politics of the organization with, you know, certain people, you know, leaning one way, so that certain people leaning the other way, and then the rest of the people kind of going, oh, I, I'm going to lean with this person because I like them, or I'm going to lean with this person because I like them. Hmm. And I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how much the IAI was actually like that. Um, mm, okay. But okay, well, I mean, I know one thing, and if there are folks in the IAI listening, you know, who have something to do, you know, something for them to consider, I, mean, I heard a few people talk about, you know, the voting process and the frustration that you end up with, you know, and this was a, you know, no secret, a lower attended conference. And so, and therefore the business meeting, lower attendance. So you end up with essentially a very small group of people making some big decisions for the entire organization. And I've heard now numerous people mention this. And, and, it, it, and you know, people were trying to find out about the resolutions. Were they online? No, now they're posted online. So even if they, if there even was some absentee ballot or some way to, you know, to get involved... They really, you know, they couldn't have because, like you said, some of the things that were going on either happened at that moment, present there, or you know, weren't posted till you know till the conference. So I think it it makes it hard for people that want to get involved and have a voice and vote on things. the The process is very cumbersome and doesn't take advantage of technology. It's it's um. Right. Well, like the the certification test, it's a little old school. <laughs> it's not taking advantage of modern technology and capabilities where you can have absentee voting or you know live you know feed stream feeds and you know you've got these you know uh, protected passwords to get into it. And there, there are things that could be done, but and I know and you know it costs money and would take some some doing but yeah you know, I've, I've heard some people talk about that and it's a, it's actually a very fair point when you have big big decisions like this and you don't have everyone there or at least a representative you know group of, of people that want to get involved in that well and on the other side um you know, again the the board decided that we were going to go through the resolution process again for this topic and um, that was against the recommendations of the committee who, who were very much more in favor of, hey, let's just make this a position statement, whether that come from the board 
or that come from the IAI president, um, much like the, uh, the position statement back, oh, six, seven years ago now, um, after the NAS report came out, that was just basically saying, all right, the IAI is no longer going to support the idea of, um, of a zero error rate or uh, exclusion to all others. It's just, we're done. Um, hmm. And okay. I mean, I, I know how you've t- spoken before, how, uh, how much you admire that decision at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, you know, at least I was kind of hoping that we'd have the same kind of movement on this issue. We're we're moving in this in this certain direction, and and uh, the the work uh, that you know the committee, the II committee that's going to be dealing with this over the next year uh, has on its plate now uh, is to uh, help the board put out um, more clarification, uh, you know, on. The resolution that was just passed. All right. Well, there it is. All right, Glenn. Um, well, the I think the other big news that we should touch on uh, here over the past couple weeks is um, more new news from the uh, making a murderer you know case up in Wisconsin. Um, Brendan Dassey, you know the the co defendant in in that uh, in that case. Uh, a judge just ruled that he should be released or retried here soon. Um, and had a very long uh, opinion. I kind of skimmed over it, but uh, you were saying you read through... How many pages did it end up being? Uh, 91. 91 pages. Um, so, uh, you know, since we've done so much about, you know, the making a murderer, Stephen Avery, ben- Brendan Dassey trial, uh, we should probably comment uh, a little bit about... Uh, this decision that's come down. Right. Okay. So, uh, as you said, yeah, um, a, a judge, a federal judge, has taken on this this case and has uh, ordered that he either be released from custody or the state must file new charges or proceed to retry him uh, within 90 days from this decision. So they've got 90 days to make a, make a decision on whether or not they want to, you know, to recharge and go through the process again and you know this is after Dassey has already um, explored and you know used all of his options at the state level and the states have all upheld the appeals that have gone through Uh, but he was able to make an argument at a federal level to take the case and review it uh, given you know potential uh, rights that might have been violated and so forth so it's a really interesting opinion, and I think it's 91 pages because it's actually a, a very technical legal document and a very detailed legal analysis. And had I not actually read ahead you know, or you know, got the little summary, I may not have realized what the actual conclusion was because it takes a while to get there. And, and you know, they go through each one of the things that they're reviewing – and go, well, you know, we looked at this, and, well, no, that's not going to work, and we looked at this, no, that's not going to work, and we looked at this, and that's not going to work, and they go through a whole big, long thing, and it turns out that, you know, each time they go, yeah, that's a little bit of a problem, but we can't do anything about it, and a a really good example is 
you know, they look at the representation of the attorney. And it, again, it's very detailed. It goes through lots of snippets from the interviews, uh, and a lot more detail uh, than, you know, the Netflix show because it's actually using the real interviews and evidence, uh, sometimes transcripts. And those are all the things that I went to later after the Netflix show was watching the actual interviews. And, and there's a lot in there that they pull out of. And they essentially, they talk about two, two cases uh, that deal with, if you will, attorney problems. And the one that Dassey cites is called Sullivan. And they say, well, actually, Sullivan generally is used to mean when your attorneys have a conflict of interest. And they cite some cases and say, for example, uh, you know, Sullivan would be appropriate if one defense attorney is representing three co-defendants and they're all essentially snitching on each other because then, sure. you know, you're advising one client to give information that will help the other client. So, you know, there, there's a conflict of interest. Uh, other issues might be, and, you know, they cite some other cases. You know, if the prosecutor and the defense attorney are having, uh, you know, an affair or, or just having, you know, an intimate relationship, may question their impartiality. Then, um, you know, there's another case where a defense attorney was about to be hired by the prosecutor's office. Could he represent his client in a you know, unbiased way, and those kinds of things, conflict of interest. And what they basically said is that's what Dassey argued was that his attorneys had a conflict of interest, particularly that really awful defense attorney that he had that looks like Dana Carvey, in my view. Um, <laughs> the, the first defense attorney before... Yes. Before the trial got actually started. Yeah, yeah. The the guy that was always <laughs> smiling and, and just just looked like Dana Carvey. And so <laughs> they did this analysis and noted that I think he had spent at most an hour with Dassey, but he had spent over 10 or 12 hours or more uh, talking to the media. And, you know, and they, they basically said his behavior was reprehensible. The problem is you're arguing the wrong case. He didn't have a conflict of interest there. He was just a terrible attorney. What you should have been arguing was Strickland. And Strickland is another case that uh, is where uh, the behavior of the attorney is essentially detrimental to the case. And oh, you just basically have a terrible attorney. And they said that you shouldn't be arguing Sullivan. You should be arguing Strickland. It's obvious to us you should have done that, but you didn't. So there's nothing we can do, and because it's a federal court, we have even less power over the state courts, and we have and we have a very narrow uh, purview that we can we can take on in these cases and, and have some say. And so you know we'd love to be able to say you made a mistake, you should be arguing this case, and we, it would be a real no brainer for us. Problem is you didn't, so sorry <laughs> we can't overturn it based on that. Your appellate attorneys have argued the wrong case. All right, and so then they talk about the jail call, for example, uh, between the mother and Dassey. You know, was it used to impeach him uh, during trial, and was that acceptable for its admissibility? And they say, actually, yeah, it was. Uh, they don't have any issues with how it was used and how it was presented, and it's a very short issue. Then they look at. It, they, they parse out whether or not the confession, and this is what it comes down to, was the confession voluntary and was it reliable? Or was it reliable? Not and. Two different issues. Was it a voluntary confession or was it a reliable confession? And the reliable one is really interesting too. Because they basically say, 
we don't think it, it was reliable at all. We do not think, given his low intelligence and all these other things, he clearly didn't know what was going on. He clearly didn't understand the gravity of it. You kept introducing new things to him and key information. Uh, there were two things that had not been released in the media. Uh, everything else could he could Dassey could have gotten from the media, but two things had not been released. One was that she had been shot in the head. I think twice the autopsy had shown, at least twice in the head. And the other thing was that uh, the uh, vehicle hood had been lifted up and the car battery in the, the RAV had been disconnected. Neither of those facts had been released. And during the confession, uh, you may remember this part from Netflix, right. you know, Dassey never offers that information. In fact, when he's asked about the head, what happened with the head? We know, we know. Just tell us. We already know and, you know, it'll be okay. Oh, uh, we cut her. I, I cut her hair. No, that's not it. What what happened with her head? Oh, I, I slashed her throat. No, that's not it. What what happened with her head? Uh, Stephen punched her in the face. No, come on. We know. We know. All right, I'm just going to come out and ask it. Who shot her in the head? Oh, Stephen did. That was a key bit of information that the police officers introduced. And the other one being the lifting up the, the hood of the car, same thing. You know, they, they ask about what happened at the front of the car. He, you know, throws out the, a couple of wrong answers. And they, they basically say, did Steve, you know, Steve and Avery lift up the hood of the car and disconnect her battery? Oh, yeah, yeah, he did that. So two important bits of info that were not offered by Dassey until the police suggested them. And they basically said, we don't think it's reliable. However, we can't do anything about it because, again, it's not our job to. In fact, it, that's what a jury is for. Once it's admitted as admissible, which we'll get to in a moment, once it's admitted as admissible, then it's a jury's job to decide the reliability of that confession and, and what weight to place on it. So although we think it's crap, nothing <laughs> we can do about it. Right. So that that's pretty interesting. And so then it comes down to ultimately, well, how is this case being overturned? And then they look at the voluntariness of the uh, of the confession. And that's that's a big thing. You know, they first look at, you know, the conditions, were they reasonable conditions? Was he being starved or kept in a bad cell or for days and days without contact or um, you know, able to use the bathroom or, or being fed or you know whatever. No, actually his conditions were pretty fine and they didn't think that was an issue. What it came down to, and this was probably the most surprising because it's, it's the one that it requires the most interpretation and really kind of kind of surprising, but I mean if they're they're trying if they really wanted to overturn this case, this was really the only legal avenue that they had. And what they basically said was they didn't feel that it was a voluntary statement. And it wasn't any one thing that the police officers did. It was the totality of all of it. In fact, you know, they said that <sighs> there isn't any federal rule or federal obligation that police officers actually have to notify the parent or get parents' permission to interview the child. That surprised me. I actually thought they needed permission, and it turns yeah. out they don't. And yeah. And they can even deny any request to see their parents once the child's being interviewed and so forth. But what they made very clear is that when deciding the reliability or voluntarism of, of, a, of a confession, they look at those kinds of cases differently. 
and those are often considered marginal cases. So when you, whenever you have someone with you know impeded intelligence or who's a minor or someone who could be exploited or or some sort of situation where it's not the typical, and they talk about a typical adult or someone experienced with law enforcement, they talk about vulnerable individuals that they will sometimes treat those cases differently and treat them marginally and basically hold the police to a higher standard, that they really need to be more cautious when dealing with people who are vulnerable. And although, again, it's it's up to the judges and it can be very marginal and can be an interpretation, and they say not any one thing does it, it's the totality. And, the, and, and here's the one of the phrases. It's right from my, uh, from the decision page 75 uh, it is easier to overbear the will of a juvenile juvenile than of a parent or an attorney in marginal cases when it appears the officer or agent has attempted to take advantage of the suspect's youth or mental shortcomings uh, lack of parental or legal advice could tip the balance against admission and that's probably the big one that they're citing from USV Bruce and stating that well they basically agree with that um, going a little bit further here, uh, they ultimately felt that Dassey was being exploited, that he had a lower IQ, which he had tested low IQ. Uh, it was clear he didn't understand the gravity, even though he was read Miranda rights and they followed the standard procedures. It was clear that he never really understood what he would, you know, the fact that he was asking, will I be able to go to school tomorrow? Will I be able to get back by 129 for my project? He didn't understand what was happening around him. And the the judge in this made it very, very clear that what really sunk it was that these police officers, while they never said, look, if you confess to this, I promise the following, they created an atmosphere that to confess to this would be a good thing for him. That they kept saying, it'll be okay, it'll be right. okay, it'll be okay. And whenever he told them something that they didn't like, they go, well, you're gonna, you know, this isn't going to go well for you, you know, it's not going to turn out well. And so they did this back and forth of, when you start to confess and implicate yourself, we'll give you a pat on the back. Now now you're telling us the truth. Now you're you're doing good. But whenever you're saying something that doesn't fit with our narrative okay, well, you know, you're, you're not complying, this isn't going to go well, you're going to get in trouble. And ultimately, again, like, like I said, not any one statement, the judge couldn't say, no, right here, this is what he did, or this is what they did that was bad. It was the totality of the circumstances. An exploitable, vulnerable youth with low IQ, very suggestible, highly suggestible, not understanding the gravity of his situation, and then having lots of things put at him and information provided to them where they were, again, highly suggestible that they might have essentially elicited a false confession out of this kid. And, uh, and that's what they, they eventually go with. And, and here's the, here's the, the phrase I'll, I'll leave with. There was no single statement uh, that tipped the balance here. It was the, co the collectiveness and the totality of it. And the deceptive interrogation tactics that overboard Dassey's free will. That's ultimately what they said. Deceptive interrogation tactics that overbore his free will, therefore not voluntary. And they overturn it. Yeah. So, so now, now he can appeal it. You know, the prosecutors can appeal and go to the next level, or they can free him. So that's uh, that's my take on it. What did you think, Eric? 
or they can they can file refile charges and, and yeah. just start over with the trial. Yes, uh, that was I think the most surprising thing to me is you know again I I didn't read every every page of the the ninety one pages, um, but kind of skimmed through and got to that part, and that's what surprised me was there we can't point to a single thing that is in you know in the interrogation or in the confession that is you know quote unquote Against wrong right right, uh, that, right so each single event in this whole thing was technically fine yep but which they, is then confusing <laughs> they, they is, wanted to overturn it they found a reason to overturn right. it ultimately. exactly yeah. that's what it, that's really what it sounds like is is you know we really want to overturn this we think this is wrong we can't yep. find a smoking gun. Yep. So we're going to say that basically everything combined was collectively inappropriate. He didn't understand what was going on. They they led him into, hey, say this and it'll be good for you because they kept saying it's going to be okay if you say this. It's going to be okay if you say this. And then like you said, that, that's what most of this opinion is, is is literal quotes from the confession mm-hmm. um as this kind of a collective of uh of all these little things that are adding up for for the judges yeah um i'm not a lawyer you're not a lawyer i've never seen an opinion like this before have you seen anything like this before where it where they literally admit that there's nothing technically wrong but collectively, everything is kind of slimy enough that we want to overturn this. Well, yeah, I, I have. I mean, okay. there are times <laughs> I think that judges' personal sense, they know something's wrong. They just can't necessarily put their finger on it. So they, you know, and, the, and because they covered all the obvious bases and they went, we can't do anything about it, we can't do anything about it, this was the only thing that they could do something about. And I, and I think maybe that's, part of why the length is so lengthy and such a right. detailed analysis. I mean, the citations are fantastic. Some law clerks were busting their humps on this. Uh, great citations, great quotes from other cases, really well put together, because ultimately they're basically saying, it's the only thing we got. And I and I, and I think sometimes, yeah, they're, they're humans. They look at something and they just go, this is not, this isn't right. And just because there isn't a law, you know, they even talk about that, just even though there isn't a law and there are plenty of cases with minors who are, are being exploited or had some really bad stuff happen to them, their stuff was still admitted. And we don't think it's right, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's it's within the bounds of the law. It's shady tactics. And they cited right. lots of those cases. And I think this was just another one of those that they didn't... In fact, there's even a quote in there somewhere where they basically said, we don't want to add another one to the pile. There are plenty of bad cases out there where you've got minors and vulnerable people whose confessions were coming in, but there's nothing we can do about it now. We don't want to add another one to the pile. And that, that's really the sense I got um, when they were citing those other cases. And you know what? I... I, I can't really disagree with the judges in in their final conclusion of you know he was a vulnerable person where you know his original lawyer was was just a you know horrible horrible just, just ter- 
despicable. And they say that. They just say this is one of the worst examples, just as despicable as you can get. The fact that his own investigator is telling him to confess and is so biased and and just so horrible. It, it It is really just awful. And yet they couldn't overturn it on that issue. Right, because because of a weird legal thing, they cited the wrong case. So, <laughs> which right. is so yep. anathema to to the scientific mindset that you know that that we usually come at things with, where you just you look at the evidence and then you know reach a decision or reach a a, a conclusion based on what you see, you know. <laughs> within the the rules of your profession <laughs> right but and that's the I, problem that would that, be insane in in science to be like well you know what you, you didn't cite the right source so that's totally you know an inappropriate conclusion to reach but no <laughs> well i i can think of plenty of restrictions we have in our science that prevent us from necessarily testifying or expressing certain views, uh, there are restrictions, and we're bound by some of those. Uh, and, and probably they're becoming less restrictive these days, but certainly maybe ten years ago. Right. But uh, but you know, I I think that's it. And when you look at you know the Sullivan Strickland thing, and they go you know, or the reliability, there's nothing we can do about it. I I, I do really think that what they hung their hat on was because of these other foul balls that they couldn't do anything about and it's ultimately, you know, screw it. We're we're not going <laughs> to we're, we're going to do the right thing. It might be a shady interpretation, but it's the right thing to do for us. Right. Yeah, that what, that's which, what I thought. Exactly. Um so just you know, a prediction kind of thing. Um you know, they already in the works have plans for a second season of making a murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I obviously, I, I think it's pretty obvious that this, uh, this decision is going to be a huge part of it. What do you think? Just, you know, uh, Glenn, the, uh, yeah. uh predictor uh, I, of the future. What do you think Wisconsin's going to do? Is he going to retry him or are they going to let him go? Or what I, I think do? they, I think they dropped the charges. I think that uh, he served 10 years already. Um, if they think he truly did it, uh, then they'll go, you know what, time served. This is going to be one of those. We're not going to spend this money. of tax. We're not going to deal with all the protests and all the people. Right. It, it, it was too unpopular. Not, I mean, maybe if they had more time to wait, but not 90 days. Uh, I think they let him out. Done deal. That's, they'll just go, 10 years is what he did for helping someone else murder her. Right. And hide so the not, body. Not, uh, I mean, they could, you know, refile and then kind of wait it out a little bit, or no, or, I don't think so. No, they're just gonna wait the ninety days and then to go. You know what? Go ahead. I, I think so. I, and I think it won't be popular either. And obviously, the Halbach family will will be upset and on the news, right. and no doubt they'll see this as a travesty, you know, justice, but. Uh, I think this is going to be the... I, I think public sentiment is so strong on this, and so many people have a view. And likely some of those senators and legislators and other people have watched that as well and have an opinion at this moment, too. So <laughs> I... I No, I don't think so. I, that's my guess. What What do you think? 
I, no, I, I'd have to agree. Um, I, I did see one comment of the, was it like the Wisconsin method of justice of, of waiting the full 90 days and then, um, appealing it and then, you know, waiting for the appeal to come down, um, of whether or not it's going to be heard or not, oh. like dragging it out until, you know, to keep him in jail, just in those extra few months. I, I'm, Eric, I'm sorry. Actually, I, I totally agree with it. They will appeal. I do, I do believe yeah. they will. I'm sorry. I think they will appeal. I was thinking the retry. Um, if it comes down to a retrial, they won't. But I, nothing lost on, on an appeal. I think they will appeal the decision for sure. I, okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking down the road that it, it, it's upheld. It now they either have to release him or recharge him. They won't recharge him, in my view. But I, I definitely think that they will appeal because why not? <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's a different kind of thing that they can do through forms and papers and just have an attorney even just go through the motions. Why not appeal it? Okay. Uh, again, you know, Glenn the pro- prognosticator here. Does this... Does this help at all with a the next appeal that uh, Stephen Avery files? Or mm, I don't know really... that he has. I don't. I don't think he has any recourse. I mean, the issues surrounding his case are so different. I don't know if he can get yeah. habeas uh, protection from feds unless they can sh- sh- prove innocence and develop new evidence that shows that it's some other person. I don't. I don't think he has any recourse. And again, it could be just like this one where the the judge or judges are, are just like, you know what, we think this is wrong. We're just going to find some way to some technicality to, mm. uh, to to argue that this needs mm. to be redone. I suppose. I but suppose. I, I, like you said, with the circumstances being so different, I mean, I guess it's a possibility, but I, I just don't see it happening with the the different kind of evidence that implicates uh, Avery as opposed to mainly just the confession that implicated Dassey. Right, right, right. All right, well, um, two very different topics covered in this episode, but uh, <laughs> I think we I think we segued pretty smoothly between the two. Um, anyway, if you uh, have any questions, uh, we do have... Uh, if you've emailed us recently, we do have you guys on the list. Uh, we're just trying to get into get through some topics and, and get the questions we have emailed into us right now into a show. Uh, but if you have even more questions, email us at eric at rayforensics.com or glenn at eliteforensicservices.com. Uh, oh, and us. hey, oh, uh, yeah? I'm sorry. I was just going to say the, you know, the second part of the OJ uh, podcast are out. And yeah, we got I I got some pretty good feedback from people. Uh yeah. and, and and people that aren't even forensic scientists that had listened to the show and liked those episodes and uh people people really liked like that one. And and I did too. I, I just love that case and I was glad that we could finally uh talk about that case. So get that oh, one good. out there. And we've got some new episodes coming up with Lisa Steele and the IAI and a whole bunch of stuff uh in yeah, the by can. the time by the time you guys are listening to this episode, all that stuff will be out. <laughs> Um, we had a a lot of uh, recording done. Um, and then while, you know, I'm at the conference, it's, it's difficult to actually edit all this stuff together. So, uh, hopefully here real soon to get everything out. And, uh, if you have any comments on any of that stuff, even if you're listening to this years later, 
please let us know. Uh, email us or contact us some way. Uh, and uh, you know, let us know what questions or comments you have on any of these topics. So listen to us uh, on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or on iTunes, or even on YouTube now. And um, uh, we will see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Thank you.